every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to a new week of Money Talk for Monday, the 18th of February. We have reaction to an analysis of the day's top business and finance news coming up. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, mainland China's markets reopened this morning after the Lunar New Year holidays. Hopes are high for a catch-up rally in Shanghai and Shenzhen after the Hang Seng China Enterprises Index of Chinese companies listed in Hong Kong rebounded 4.7% last week and reducing its losses for 2024 so far to 3.6%. In the US, the Nasdaq Golden Dragon China Index jumped 4.3% for the week. The People's Bank of China left the rate on its one-year policy loans, known as the medium-term lending facility, unchanged at 2.5% on Sunday, as expected. The decision came as the PBOC sought to ease more pressure on the yuan and to assess the impact of recent support measures for the economy. The central bank also made a small cash injection of 1 billion yuan into the banking system, the smallest infusion since last August. Early travel and spending data from the Lunar New Year holiday offered some signs of a pickup in consumer spending. Online hotel bookings and spending on delivery giant Metrans platform saw hefty gains. Official figures showed people made more journeys than ever before, with tourism revenue also at a new high. According to the Ministry of Culture and Tourism, more than 474 million domestic trips were made during the eight-day break. That marked an increase of 34% year-on-year and also up 19% from 2019. Singapore's Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Lawrence Wong presented the government's 2024 budget on Friday. In his budget speech, Mr Wong announced that the city-state will increase support for households and companies as the country continues to grapple with higher prices. The government will be providing more map vouchers and cash handouts to Singaporean households, as well as rebates for utility bills. Mr. Wong also announced that there will be a 50% personal tax rebate for 2024 and in addition all companies in Singapore will get a 50% corporate income tax rebate capped at 40,000 Singapore dollars. And cash payouts of at least 2,000 Singapore dollars will also be given to companies who hired at least one local employee in 2023. On today's programme, I'm joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management and Louis Kaus, Chief Asia Economist at S&P Global Ratings. And providing a view from mainland China will be Shanghai-based independent economist Andy Scher. And don't forget, if you want to get in touch, please post your questions or comments on my Money Talk website at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. U.S. stocks declined Friday after yet another hot inflation report stoked fears that the Federal Reserve may not cut rates until later than anticipated this year. The S&P 500 spent much of Friday's session oscillating between small gains and losses, but an afternoon sell-off ultimately left the benchmark down half a percent at 5,006. The Dow slid 145 points, that's 0.4 percent, settling at 38,628. The Nasdaq Composite lost 0.8% to finish at 15,776. All three major indices broke their five-week winning streaks to end the week in negative territory. 
and markets are closed in the US today for a public holiday. Treasury yields were higher across the curve last week after January CPI and PPI data came in higher than expected. The yield on the 10-year Treasury closed four basis points higher at 4.28% Friday and at one stage was above the closely watched 4.3% level. The US dollar index posted another winning week. The index was up 0.2% at 104.28. That's the fifth positive week in a row. The yen weakened 0.2% on Friday and was trading at 150 per dollar a day after the country entered a technical recession. Oil prices rallied for the fourth week out of the last five. April Brent futures added 0.7% Friday to settle at $83.47 a barrel. The global benchmark rose 1.6% for the week, settling at the highest level since January the 26th. Bitcoin rallied 9.5% last week, ending the week at $51,700. It was the fourth straight week of gains for the largest cryptocurrency, as over $2 billion of net inflows poured into spot Bitcoin ETFs last week. Bitcoin ETFs have seen almost $5 billion of net inflows since inception. And during that time, gold ETFs have seen net outflows of over $2 billion. As a result, gold ended half a percent lower on the week at 2013 an ounce. In Asian stock markets, Japan's Nikkei 225 came close to breaking its all-time high on Friday. The benchmark index closed at 38,487, just 1.1% short of its all-time high, which was reached on the final day of trading way back in 1989. On Friday, Hong Kong stocks rose ahead of mainland China stock markets reopening today. The Hang Seng Index added 395 points, or 2.4%, to 16,340, and the biggest jump in almost two weeks. For the holiday-shortened week, the city's benchmark index was up 3.8% amid reports about a surge in domestic travel in China and robust daily consumer spending on Metroan's online platforms during the Lunar New Year holiday. Futures markets projecting the Hang saying to open about 15 points lower this morning at around 16,325. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Let's welcome our guests at the start of a new week. We have with us Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Morning, Alex. Hi, Peter. And also with us is Louis Kaus, Chief Asia Economist at S&P Global Ratings. Morning to you, Louis. Morning, Peter. Now, mainland China markets going to reopen this morning after the Lunar New Year holidays. And as we mentioned earlier, hopes are high among traders for a catch-up rally in Shanghai and Shenzhen. The Hang Seng China Enterprises Index, which is the index of Chinese companies listed in Hong Kong, that rebounded 4.7% last week. And as a result, it's reduced its losses for 2024 so far to 3.6%. In the US, the NASDAQ Golden Dragon China Index jumped 4.3% for the week. Week. And China's benchmark CSI 300 index, which had been down more than 9% year to date in early February, posted a sharp rebound in the days just before the start of the Chinese New Year holiday. And that's paired its losses for the year to just 2% by the close on February the 8th. 
However, it still left the CSI 300 index down more than 40% from a peak in early 2021. And then on Friday, as you heard, the Hang Seng index adding 2.4% in the biggest jump in almost two weeks. It was up 3.8% for the holiday shortened week um, last week. So, Alex, we're seeing um, some rebounds in some of the international um, indices. What do you think is going to happen once the markets reopen today? Are you optimistic that maybe we're going to see a turnaround? Well, I think uh, we probably have uh, have a bottom or, uh, in China market for a while now. Um, sentiment actually is improving, and the spending in Chinese New Year actually is, is, is encouraging. So um, we are seeing some renewed interest in uh, sectors like consumers and internet. So that is a good sign. Uh, but I think uh, people be very cautious. So after a higher opening, probably we may see some selling emerging today um so i think uh, we probably may see a high opening but i don't think uh, it would uh, close at a strong note i probably we may see some um selling uh, on highs today but i think overall uh, the bottom has been set and probably we may uh, generally um uh, uh, gradually going higher Mm. I mean, in the past, when we've seen these rallies for various reasons, whether it be through the support measures from uh, the Chinese government or, or other reasons, it hasn't lasted very long, has it? We've seen maybe a three yep. or four day rally and then it all sort of fizzles out. Do you think this time it could be more sustainable or do you think we need to see um, the government take even more action to try and deal with the deeper economic problems? Oh, I think uh, it may not be sustainable to go much, much higher. Probably the best case scenario we would get is a stabilization and we probably were ranging uh, at a higher level for a while. So that is the best case scenario. I think uh, the government need to do more things because if you look at the um, size right now, I think uh, for Chinese New Year spending, this probably would be one of, uh, uh, and actually things probably would quiet down after the festival. So uh, I would not uh, pay too much attention to this kind of spike uh, in activities uh, 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 in the meantime. So I think uh, we need to see more from the government. But uh, in the meantime, I think uh, it, the overseas strength actually is helping China. And I think uh, people probably would be um, very cautious to sort the market right now. So I think uh, the reduction in uh, short selling interest and also probably maybe see some squaring of those shorts would have the market to stabilize. Okay. Um, Louis, what's your sense from the early data we've got from uh, the Lunar New Year holiday? Things like hotel sales, Macau visitor numbers. We've also seen um, some quite positive data for Metran on the spending on their sort of platforms. What, what sort of sense are you getting um, about the domestic economy and particularly consumer spending over the holiday? Yeah, well, it was pretty good, right? Um, you know, we need to be a little bit careful about the data because it's not completely like for like. Like this was a relatively favorable uh, period, the way that it, uh, you know, the way that it fell in place. So it, it's eff- effectively a little longer than last year. Also, it uh, it uh, covered uh, Valentine's Day, which is always good for some more spending by young people. But I would say that still, it, despite those caveats, this was pretty strong data and i think you know yeah we don't want to read too much into one set of numbers but it is good for confidence um and it's also good i think it will you know domestically be helpful in uh, you know helping domestic confidence and people realizing oh you know like maybe you know maybe we're all not falling apart together in, in this economy 
So I think that, yeah, this is a pretty helpful set of numbers in terms of that, you know, when you think about what is required in China, and I, you know, I know nothing about financial markets in terms of what, what should drive it, but I do think that at the end of the day, you know, stimulus measures can only do so much. At the end of the day, the, the, the fundamental push up for markets will have to be a stronger economy, stronger confidence. And so it, we will have to continue to look at the data for that. Mm. And, and we need to see this be more sustained in terms of consumer spending. Obviously, this is a special time of the year when you would expect, obviously, consumer spending to rebound. But do we need to see this continuing now um, in, into next month and beyond? Yeah, sure. That's what we, that's what we need to see. But, you know, I, I still don't want to downplay this too much, right? Because the Chinese New, the Chinese New Year period is a special period, but that's mm-hmm. true every year. Right? So mm-hmm. And the fact that this year it comes out uh, quite, you know, a bit more, more generally, I think is, is by itself a good sign. Again, we don't read too much into one set of numbers, but by itself, I would take it as a good sign. Has this got to be backed up, though, by more policy support, um, both fiscal and, and monetary? Definitely policy support is helpful. I personally don't expect too much on the monetary front. Policymakers don't have an awful lot of room over there, especially not in terms of the interest rate, which they left unchanged, as you also noticed, hmm. Peter. Um, you know, uh, internationally, like US rates are still a bit high, so that's not, not very conducive if you're looking at your currency as a central bank. Um, I think, you know, the kind of policy measures that would help strength and confidence in China will have to be on the fiscal side. It doesn't look like there's a huge amount of interest in household-oriented fiscal policy expansion. So I'm, I'm not sure what to expect. From mm. uh, Alex, what, how's, how are foreign investors likely to take this, do you think? As we know, they have been big sellers of the Chinese markets in recent weeks and months. Do you think they may look at this and think perhaps, you know, the worst is over, consumer spending has rebounded o- over the holidays and maybe it's time to start having a nibble at the Chinese market, which by all accounts appears very cheap, doesn't it? Well, I think uh, they probably still lack uh, interest to pay long term. But in the meantime, I think uh, we may see some short term interest. And also, I think uh, we may see more short covering. And I don't think that people would uh, go short uh, against this market uh, aggressively now because uh, these things actually uh, look uh, to have been stabilizing. So I think uh, uh, we probably may see some period of stabilization in the Chinese market. But I doubt uh, the long term interest because in, in the among the, the global market, actually, China is the one which is least favorable for AI concept because of the uh, constraint on chips. And I think that's the key long-term story in the market right now. So I think uh, this is still lacking the, the charisma to drive uh, global interest towards China, despite the apparently cheap valuation. Mm. I mean, we're hearing sort of reports that actually foreign investors, if they want to expo- uh, want an exposure to China, they're looking at other ways of getting that without actually buying Chinese stocks. So, for example, buying things like European luxury goods yep. companies like LVMH and so on as a as a better way of of proper, profiting from a, a potential recovery in uh, in China. Are you seeing signs of that? Yeah, that of course, uh, LVMH uh, actually led the market, led the luxury stocks much higher since uh, 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 the last reports. Uh, so um, I think this will still be the trend 
because uh, the, the, the underlying assumption is the questioning of uh, Chinese brand uh, pricing power. I think that this is a, 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 the key issue right now, because uh, even though activities may be strong, but uh, they, they compete very strongly uh, amongst each other, and the pricing power actually is uh, not that good. So um, people are more confident in 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 those uh, European names or even Japanese names, uh, because uh, they actually have the um, brand power to charge higher on consumer and and they have a uh, 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 more stable demand. So I uh, I think uh, uh, this is uh, the underlying assumption. So this may continue. This is not not just uh, a uh, market preference. I think this is uh, the fundamental issue on pricing power among the Chinese names. Mm. And and they're also investors are going to face this news that MSCI is removing 66 names from the MSCI China um, index and, and reducing the weighting once again in the index to about 25%. What sort of impact is that going to have? Yeah, of course, I did was try some uh, awful uh, uh, because of uh, this uh, uh, decline in rating. Uh, I think this is the, the results of the um, uh, weakness in the Chinese market because many of those names operators would see a huge foreign market cap uh, as, uh, in the last year. So I think that this is uh, the results of the, of, the, of the weakness. But of course, I think uh, this uh, would drive most outflows and, and people are more interested in other markets. And we have more and more products in China. So I think this is uh, the the long-term negative um, uh, factor for China because I think uh, passive funds actually are looking more products ex- ex- uh, uh, excluding China. Mm. Louis, on the on the economy, the next big event I think is going to be the uh, the two sessions, which starts on the fourth uh, to fifth of March. I mean, I think it's fair to say, isn't it? This year, there's a higher than usual level of uncertainty um, about this. But what can we look forward to? What should we expect from that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, these sessions tell us, especially about. Macro, I mean, about economic policies this year, right? And so on the macro front, as I just mentioned, I'm not sure that you will get to see a lot of language that is, I mean, I'm sure you'll see positive language that we will support the economy, but I'm not sure that we will get an awful lot of, uh, you know, specific initiatives on fiscal and or monetary easing. And so then the the, the, the attention will look at what are the types of measures that the government seems to be talking about in terms of structural reforms, you know, structural reforms to either boost productivity or uh, increase the quality of urbanization. These are really the two main strands of structural reform in China that we are looking at. I think that what, you know, where I'm pretty sure that we'll see a lot of language on in these policy documents is... Um, that language on high quality development we need to uh you know we need to make sure that we are there in the high tech area so a lot of attention and probably even some initiatives to boost investment in those um uh, higher tech sectors uh, i'm not sure that how much we will see on the consumption front Mm. And and of course, what, one of the things we want to see is some sort of initiatives on the property sector. I mean, the, the, the news we seem to be hearing from Beijing is where they seem to be moving towards is to have the state play a bigger role in the provision of housing in China because of the things that have happened to the private developers. How do you think people will react to, to that? Yeah, 
I'm not sure that there is a, you know, master, the grand scheme to increase the role of the state. Um, what What is true is that we've seen a lot of uh, private sector developers being in huge trouble and that the, the authorities have been for a long time already interested in more concentration, you know, few, uh, like a, uh, a fewer, a smaller number of, of of, of property developers, and so they have been in favor of concentration. Often, the strong names are state-supported, uh, state-owned. So, yes, there has been a trend, and that may continue. Um, the the other thing on on this, the role of the state is that there has been that emphasis, right, on um, whatever is happening to these companies. We need to make sure that the houses that they started, the, the apartment, will will be finished, and that people can live somewhere. So, unfortunately. Uh, for for the people who worry about this, the role of the state may indeed uh, uh, strengthen whether or not this was part of a master plan. Mm. And are we going to see a target once again of around 5% GDP growth in 2024, do you think? That seems to be the chatter. That seems to be the, the, the gut feeling. And also, I mean, people have been surprised by how ambitious uh, many of the provincial growth targets have been. Um, we've seen a trend, right, in the last 10 years or so of gradually more modest growth targets. Uh, this year, we may not see a lower target than last year. Last year, the phrasing was around 5%, and we'll probably get something like that this time around. Mm. Alex, what, what do you think um, market participants want to see? Obviously, we've got the property crisis, weak consumer confidence. We've also got deflation uh, pressures um, as well. And at the same time, the government seems to be reluctant, as Louis was saying, to make any big changes on the monetary front. We saw the MLF left unchanged um, yesterday. We got the loan prime rate decision on Tuesday. Um, what do you think investors would like to see? I think they would still like to see some things on the monetary side, but I think they need to see the U.S. dollar to weaken first because uh, RMB actually is a, a key concern for China. So probably um, nothing much can be done now. Uh, the support for the housing market actually would could be just uh, to finish those projects, but I don't think that it would change the overall sentiment much. So I think uh, we need to you need to see something on the monetary side, but the key thing is uh, probably we need to see the U.S. dollar weaken across the board first, and and that's got to happen before um, China's going to start cutting rates or the or the triple R because presumably it's worried about any any potential slide uh, in the yuan. I think triple R cut probably may still be seen because uh, this may not be affect, uh, affecting too much on the forex rate. But I think uh, the rates probably uh, may be cut after the uh, US dollar weakens. Yeah. Okay. Let's turn our attention to a couple of other economies in, in the region. Louis, perhaps I can ask you, first of all, about Singapore. We had the budget um, on Friday. Overall, what was your um, thoughts about that? Was it a business-friendly um, budget? They were talking about making cuts to uh, business tax rates, corporate income tax, or getting a rebate anyway on corporate income tax, also support uh, for, for households. What is your sort of overall high-level view of that? Yeah, I don't follow Singapore super closely. My colleague does that from from Singapore. Uh, you know, it seems to be a budget that uh, no, it seems to be a pretty like skilled budget in the sense that they they are able to highlight many tax cuts and somehow at the same time the budget uh, deficit uh, the balance is not uh, expected to worsen a lot. So it has been 
you know, fairly balanced uh, in looking at how can we present a budget that seems to be, you know, pretty positive for people and business while not uh, draining our fiscal coffers too much. Mm. And I presume that's because there's there's a legal requirement, isn't there? A constitutional requirement in Singapore for the government to maintain a balanced budget over each parliamentary term. So it, it can't really do what um, has been allowed to happen in Hong Kong and start running uh, big deficits. That's right. That's right. And I don't really need to, you know, they're, they have, they're overseeing pretty solid uh, growth at the moment. It wasn't great in Q4, but it's still, you know, uh, the like the the medium term story on Singapore is still pretty positive, so it's I, I don't think there is a strong need in Singapore to to add lots of inflation pressure to an economy where inflation is actually still one of the key concerns. Mm. And of course, whenever we have the Singapore budget, it's always a couple of weeks before Hong Kong's budget, so there's always comparisons. Um, I think uh, the financial secretary here has got uh, a a difficult situation to deal with, hasn't he, with the deficits um, getting larger, certainly much larger than predicted um, at the beginning of the financial year. Maybe it's going to be difficult for him to be able to do the sort of rebates and consumption voucher schemes that he's done in the past. Yeah, that's definitely right. Like, So Hong Kong's fiscal narrative, its fiscal arithmetic has changed somewhat. I still have to say, you know, from a from a G7 or or like European perspective, this still looks like pretty solid, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's where you know, if you look at where Hong Kong's government debt is as a share of its GDP, then that will, will, will you know keep you pretty relaxed. Mm. Alex, what are your thoughts here? It's um, obviously a, a sort of a fairly um, a fairly good balancing act down in Singapore. Going to be much tougher for Paul Chan to do the same thing here in Hong Kong. Yeah, I think, of course, uh, Hong Kong probably need to raise that, I think, uh, because uh, the major revenue from land sales actually is uh, is vanishing uh, right now. So I think uh, Hong Kong is difficult. I think uh, probably Paul Chen would try to reduce the expense side, but uh, the point is uh, we don't have uh, too much uh, a new revenue source. So I think that is um, quite difficult for him. Probably we need to see more, more debt raising in Hong Kong. It's really, if he wants new revenues, the the only way now is there's got to be really quite a big overhaul of the tax system here in general, hasn't there, to make it um, more balanced and and you know and have sort of a broader um, tax base. Yeah, yeah, but uh, the 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 point is that a broader tax base actually uh, is uh, not welcomed by the business community, especially right now the economy is uh, is uh, is in a downturn here. So I think that's make make it more difficult for him to put on the, the tax base. It makes you wonder how is the government going to be able to afford things like the Northern Metropolis and the Lantau Island sort of projects. These are huge um, expenditure um, sort of projects when our, our deficits are getting bigger and our reserves are shrinking. Yeah, it is. It's uh, very difficult. Probably. So so I, I think uh, the, the only way is to try to waste that on proper more project-related uh, debt raising. Uh, that uh, should be done uh, uh, to, to, to finish those kinds of things uh, if they want to. Okay. Louis, let, can I ask you about Japan? Um, the economy slipped into a technical um, recession there. We saw the data uh, last week contracted 0.4% in the final quarter of last year. That was after a contraction of 3.3% in the previous quarter. So I suppose that does count, doesn't it, as a, as a technical um, recession. Are you surprised? No, we were not that surprised because we had you know, Japanese data tends to be quite bumpy. We had a super strong Q2, 
And despite the you know technical recession, I personally really don't like the, that R word because it doesn't always say very much, right? We had minus 0.1% uh, shrinkage of the economy in Q4, quarter mm-hmm. on quarter. And so, you know, like at, at, at one one airplane or so would make the difference between <laughs> that and, and positive growth. But, but, you know, the, the Japanese economy is a, is a mature one where despite all the monetary, you know, uh, largesse, we... Uh, Domestic spending is never going to grow very fast. You know, where our our projection for potential output growth, right, the kind of trend growth that you could expect, is around one percent. So, you know, and and we had overall we had one point nine percent growth last year, despite that technical recession. So, you know, I think the Japanese economy will will never power away. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I I wouldn't read too much into that that quite bumpy uh, data. Mm. And if you look at other data, I mean, the uh, the country's unemployment rates are at an 11-month low, so the labor market seems quite good. We, the Bank of Japan's Tankan yeah. surveys seem to show businesses reasonably optimistic at the moment, don't they? So it sort of rather defies the fact that uh, Japan is technically in a recession. Yeah, you know, so, you know, I think uh, if you were to focus on that annual number, we had 1.9% GDP growth last year in Japan. We haven't had that in quite a while that's a pretty good number so i think indeed as you say on the business side uh, the, the you know the 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 manufacturers in in, in high tech and capital goods sectors are relatively have become more optimistic on the spending side things are still not too bad in you know amidst a very strong labor market and i think what you know what the bank of japan is going to look at most closely in the coming months is that labor market data is the spring round the wage uh, are the wage negotiations going to show a solid wage uh, in a solid rate of wage growth that is what the bank of japan is looking for as a you know condition to eventually uh, move away from the negative interest Alex, what about the Japanese markets? On Friday, the Nikkei 225 got to within 100 points of its record high that it reached uh, back in 1989. In fact, the last day of trading in December 1989, it got to 38,915. I assume that the traders are going to get it there, aren't they? So, But what happens after that? I think uh, it probably will still be going higher. I think people like Japan right now, uh, despite the um, latest uh, run of data, I think uh, people like the high-end manufacturing sectors, like the anime sectors. Um, they, even though we are seeing weakness in the domestic sectors, but I think uh, Japan is a well-balanced market, and people like those um, like those sectors, and and that will support the overall market. I think Japan probably will still be going higher. And how much is the weak yen giving a boost to the market? It's helping. But I think um, last year we got a uh, dollar yen dip to um, to dip our, to around one forty, and that at that time the correction in the overall market actually is not that much. So that is showing some resilience in the Japanese equity market. I think uh, of course a volatile yen probably would be hurting the market, but I think uh, overall people probably will expect a more stable yen, and probably um, the yen probably may not be strengthening too much uh, despite the um, tightening bias uh, of BOJ. So uh, I think uh, that will not affect too much. And Japan actually is, has a somewhat domestic name, which is not uh, doing too much right now. So uh, 
a reversal in yen probably may uh, help uh, to uh, to get get some more interest in those uh, domestic names eventually. So I think uh, that will not help, uh, affect the overall sentiment in the Japanese equity market too much. And are you seeing signs that money is coming out of China and into Japan, and uh, Chinese investors themselves um, are moving money into into Japan? Yeah, if you look at those uh, ETF in in China, actually China is uh, looking elsewhere to park their money. Mm. So um, not just Japan, I think even US uh, people are trying to park their money on uh, equities uh, elsewhere because uh, Chinese equities actually perform very poorly in the long term. And uh, they are looking uh, ways to park the money. And I think uh, they probably even don't trust a bank deposit too much because uh, they probably may be questioned uh, on, a, uh, on a huge amount of uh, uh, deposit stacking. So I think... Uh, uh, they are looking elsewhere to park the money. Okay. Uh, Louis, finally, let me just get your thoughts on uh, the US economy. The, the key um, data last week was the consumer price index and the producer price index, both of which came in um, higher than expected. And as a result, we've seen quite a big repricing now um, in traders' expectations for rate cuts. They were at the beginning of the week pricing in almost six rate cuts last year of uh, this year. That's come down uh, to just over three um, now. Um, is that justified, do you think? Or do you think people People are overreacting to this data. You know, the market tends to be quite volatile. This right, the market gets at times very enthusiastic when we think they got uh, way too enthusiastic uh, late last year. So my U.S. colleague expects inflation, you know, the the, the, the further decrease in inflation to be not that easy, and has uh, has been having. Uh, 75 basis points cuts uh, starting mid 2024 in his baseline for quite some time and so our our forecast doesn't uh, change as much as as the market one and we think that where the market currently is is more realistic than where they were uh, say a month ago Alex, and from a market uh, perspective, we had a five-week winning run for the U.S. Uh, markets that came to an end um, last week. We've seen Treasury yields uh, jump uh, jump higher. The uh, the ten-year yield now um, is coming back close to that um, sort of key level of four point three percent. What are your thoughts on how the markets are going to react to this if um, traders have to really start rethinking their expectations about rate cuts? Well, I think uh, market just ignore that. Uh, this year, we have a strong divergence between the bond market and the stock market. Mm-hmm. So um, in the stock market, I think the, 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 the strength is uh, driven by retail interest. Uh, and, they, and I think uh, retail investors are more focusing on the long-term simple story. So um, they are gathering uh, because of AI. And if you look at the names like ARM and, and uh, Super Mega Computer, actually, this is just the repeat of uh, what we have seen in GameStop, probably. So uh, we are seeing a enlarged version of a GameStop uh, in the US right now. And there are more and more retail coming uh, towards the market because of AI. So I think uh, this would continue to support the overall market. So um, uh, if you want to see the reaction on macro data, actually, the bond market is uh, more reflective. So I think uh, overall U.S. market is still okay, but uh, the, uh, the 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 latest uh, concern would be uh, AI name killing AI because if you look at the uh, price action of Adobe or Google last week, they are affected by new products from OpenAI. So I think uh, this is a new concern. So uh, very likely we may see the index uh, 
to lose some momentum. And I think in, individual names will still be hot. So uh, people probably would uh, uh, concentrate their bets more on certain names and then use the index to hedge. So uh, very likely, I think uh, we may see the index uh, to lose some momentum. Okay, well, thank you very much for your thoughts. You heard there Alex Wong, who's director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Louis Kaos, who's chief Asia economist at S&P Global Ratings. I'm joined now by Andy Sher, who's a Shanghai-based independent economist. Morning, Andy. Good morning, Peter. Um, let me get your thoughts about the spending data that's been coming out um, of China over the Lunar New Year holidays. It seems to be pretty good initially, doesn't it? We seem to have seen uh, in- increased spending on platforms like uh, Metuan, um, on, ho- on uh, hotel spending. What- what's your sense of how it's gone over the, over the last week or so? Yeah, we're we're seeing the continuing uh, trend of uh, uh, a big growth in domestic tourism. Uh, that uh, appears to be not just a one-time thing, and uh, people are uh, really uh, love to get around. And it's a uh, part of thanks to the high, high-speed rail system that has made uh, traveling inside China uh, uh, cheap, fast. Uh, and uh, uh, so, uh, so uh, I think that, that the demand is uh, is very strong. And you look at Shanghai's airports uh, compared to last year during the similar period, uh, up quite a lot, like eighty percent. And, and uh, yeah, do you think we're back to where we were now pre sort of pandemic in terms of holiday spending? Oh, we, 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 we before, we, right. we about, we about. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that something new is happening. They are not traveling overseas like before. Mm. I think that uh, there's a, a, a big change in spending pattern. And uh, overseas destinations, uh, obviously, uh, uh, the international environment is not that really friendly to to Chinese tourists. Mm. This one, the second is that uh, Chinese tourists now feel that uh, it's not safe in many countries. Mm. So uh, that's that's a, that's a new factor that uh, people uh, people uh, the, the changing uh, spending behavior. Are they interested in coming to Hong Kong? <clears throat> well, Hong Kong offers uh, no shopping. Uh, I think that there we see a significant change in uh, in preference. People like experience. Mm. Uh, so uh, you know, uh, Hong Kong doesn't offer much. Hong mm. Kong just it's just a, a shopping center. Mm. Whereas elsewhere in China, there's lots of beautiful scenery and, and things to do as well that uh, that may be yeah, more attractive. Key. Are they spending? Yeah, yeah, people want to have things to do. Mm. And are they spending as much on these visits, or are they um, sort of tightening their belts a bit? And, and when they do do these trips, uh, being more cost conscious. Well, yeah, I think that it's, uh, it's, uh, the market is highly competitive inside China. Uh, we we see that uh, the services, like uh, hotel services, in lots of places have upgraded, but the prices have uh, not. Sometimes uh, have gone down. Mm. So it's uh, it's uh, it's very competitive. So, you know, uh, value, good value, is also a reason why uh, the demand is uh, is up a lot. So in a way that uh, Chinese domestic tourism is in a virtuous cycle. Uh, you know, the uh, it's a big market, a very competitive service is uh, is uh, is a uh, good value, uh, and uh, and uh, the the high speed rail offers convenience, uh, uh, speed and and and, and a low price. 
Mm. So what does this mean going forward now that the holidays are over? Is this enough to sort of rebuild consumer confidence and keep that consumer spending going over the coming weeks and months? I think consumer spending is still okay for uh, for middle class. Now, uh, last year, domestic, domestic tourism rose by double, more than double to over 4% of GDP. And probably this year, we'll continue to see uh, 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 20 to 30 percent growth. So, uh, so uh, it, it, it will add another one percentage point or a bit more to to GDP. GDP. So, uh, I, I think that the, uh, the uh, uh, you know it's, uh, uh, but uh, the high end. You go to high end, very expensive restaurants or uh, luxury shops. Uh, there, there you see demand is really crashing. Right, because their uh, their their patrons are, uh, are really tied up with, uh, you know, the, the the sectors that are deflating, like property and uh, shadow banking, mm. uh, and also internet sector is not doing well. These are where uh, cash rich people used to uh, get their money from. So and uh, it's not anymore, not anymore. So I presume that the underlying economic problems haven't gone away. Things like deflation, the proper problems in the property sector, um, and and so on. These problems are still there and have still got to be dealt with by uh, by Beijing. Well, I think these problems really need time to resolve. It was a bubble to begin with, and I think the the reallocation of money from uh, these sectors. Uh, to uh, middle class is a healthy development. Think about it. People are not borrowing money like before to buy purchase overvalued properties that mm. they don't need, and they bought because they believed in a rising price. So, uh, so now uh, the household sector is uh, uh, takes on less debt and has more spending power. Why is that a bad thing? Mm. Right yeah. over time, uh, over time, it's a, it's a good thing. You know, we just need to, to work down this inventory, uh, this huge inventory. It takes years, and we uh, all these uh, shadow bankers uh, who are basically we're uh, uh, we're creating uh, they, they, we're not creating value. They, they actually uh, added a negative value to the economy and got rich on it. You now these people need to go somewhere else. Mm. And, and those losses are still there, aren't they, in the system? They've, someone's still got to take those losses. Yeah, well, I think that they, uh, you know, they, they, they don't want to walk away. They, they, they still believe that uh, they can get something out of it. <laughs> I, I, I doubt it. I think mm. it's, 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 it's the best is for these guys to close shop and move on. And uh, the, uh, I think that, uh, no, obviously, the state bank financial system will suffer losses too. But I, I think that it takes, uh, you know, uh, give it 10 years, uh, uh, you know, the, the bill can be paid. 10 years. So we're, we're going to have to wait a while then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think no property, uh, no property uh, bubble uh, problem gets resolved quickly. It's, it's mm. not likely. So the next big event now is the two sessions, um, the 4th to 5th of March. What can we expect from that in terms of policy initiatives? Are we likely to see anything new, do you think, from, from that? Well, I, I think that uh, these, uh, uh, the, 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 the double sessions are not as important uh, as before because uh, uh, the, uh, now the system is, is run differently. It's much more concentrated. Uh, power, power is much more concentrated. And it used to be like a, a, a minister with big shots. 
uh, they would come out to make uh, statements, almost uh, like policy statements. Mm. Uh, obviously, uh, non-ministers are just uh, uh, execution. Uh, 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 to, to, to execution, they really don't have any policy uh, authority. So, uh, so uh, a big conference, a big conference like that, don't mean a lot anymore. So what should we expect from the um, from the government? They still seem to be reluctant, don't they, to do any sort of monetary um, easing. We saw the MLF re- left unchanged yesterday. No, no, no. We've got the old loan prime rate uh, decision not. Tuesday, but it doesn't seem to be any sign of any monetary easing at all. No, I think that uh, uh, the key is that uh, the government uh, understands if you if you waste a lot of money to revive the economy, it does not improve the country's uh, security uh, uh, situation. Mm. Okay, uh, and uh, and I think the the, uh, the the communist party feels existential threat. That is really uh, guiding its policies, and uh, to some extent, it's really uh, a, a good thing. Uh, you know, if you waste money, trillions of dollars to revive the economy, uh, what, what does that mean? You you have a GDP. Uh, uh, is that a good GDP? You know, but, but on the other side, you need to see concrete uh, results in terms of uh, uh, technology self-reliance. So uh, you can waste money there. And uh, there, 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 you, you, uh, you, you, uh, you improve the country's uh, security down the road. So it's... I think the market is getting is not getting the right because they are always praying for macro stimulus. It, it is not coming. It's just that the United States uh, has basically uh, made the made China's policy a priority, and the the U.S. Uh, containment tactics are forcing the hand. So so I don't think that uh, you're going to see big stimulus like before. It's, it's, it's just going to be like that in terms of a macroeconomic situation. So investors are going to be disappointed by the sounds of it then. So, so where does all this market support, where does that fit in? Is, is that also sort of a waste of money? Because they seem to be spending a lot of money on buying ETFs, buying stocks to try and um, support the market. No, I, I think that's a very little direct support is a very little money and mostly relying on financial institutions like forcing uh, 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 mutual funds not to sell. <clears throat> right. and so, uh, it's, it's, this is a non-market uh, tactic. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, uh, you, know, they, they, uh, you, you can boost the confidence a little by showing that you care, right? But in terms of the amount, amount of money involved, is, uh, whatever amount of money involved is, uh, is very small. It's, uh, we're talking about billions of dollars. Mm. If you want to get, get the macro going, we're talking about trillions of dollars, probably 10 <laughs> trillion dollars. Mm. So, so that, that, that is uh, for, for China as a whole. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, uh, whatever they are doing via uh, the stock market is a minimal. Hmm. Does does it work at all anyway? Even if you do provide large amounts of stimulus for the market, it only seems to have short term benefits anyway. You get a rebound for a few days, um, and then the market sells off again. Yeah, and I think that it's just buying time to show that the government cares. Hmm. So uh, you uh, no, you guys should not uh, all uh, sell. 
Uh, I think the issue is that uh, the the selling pressure really comes from this something called the Minsk effect, uh, because that uh, uh, the shadow banking system uh, traps like a uh, fifty trillion uh, U.S. dollar equivalent of assets, basically not liquid anymore. So if 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 anybody who needs money, uh, he he's going to sell stocks to where there is still liquidity. Right. Actually, the land, the, the property market is not liquid at this point. Uh, you, you you just can't sell. A lot of people are sitting on these empty flats, and uh, and investing in shadow banking. All these people, uh, uh, most rich people in China, were fully involved in the bubble economy. So now uh, uh, they, they, they have a uh, liquidity pressure. So what are they going to sell? The only thing they can sell is stocks. Mm. And I suppose at the end of the day, one of the big problems that the government, someone somewhere has got to try and deal with is deflation. There is still deflation in the economy. Well, deflation per se is not a problem. Uh, why the price is going down is a problem. And if it's, it's, it becomes a problem only if it's a it's uh, driven by uh, uh, declining money supply or shrinking money supply, and uh, you get into companies uh, going bust. Uh, you know that that's not the case here. The money supply is still rising at ten percent. So, uh, so uh, you know, I, I think that the prices are going down partly due to uh, 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 due to uh, supply catching up, partly due to good competition, like in the automobile sector, maybe a bit excessive at this point. But the car price is going down, and uh, you know, that's a big part of this deflation story. And the pork price is going down. That's another big story. But you know, both I don't see uh, anything bad. Pork, oh. pork supply is going up. Why? Why is that a bad, bad, uh, mm. bad thing? Okay, well, it's, it'll be interesting to see what they say when we do get to the uh, the two sessions. Andy, thank you very much indeed for your thoughts this morning. That's Shanghai-based independent economist Andy Share. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Thank you for listening this morning. Do please take a look at my daily newsletter, which has more information on some of the topics we've discussed today. You'll find that at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back with another show tomorrow. Joining me then will be Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, John Schofield, managing director of Tempest Investment, and our US economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster, Barry Woods. See you tomorrow. Money Talk. 